as evidenced by the children who came in at the beginning of the service with the palm branches. Today is Palm Sunday. As evidenced by our triumphant song at the beginning of the service, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Today is a day where we remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. That triumphant entry where everyone proclaimed, Hosanna, hail the King of the Jews. Today is Palm Sunday. But today is also what they call Passion Sunday. And on liturgical calendars, that is church calendars, sometimes you'll see Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday as if it's an either or thing. And with apologies to Roger, he put in the bulletin this week correctly that it is Palm Sunday. I went back and added Palm slash Passion Sunday because because I didn't want today to be an either or. I wanted us to look at the stark contrast between beginning the week saying Hosanna, hail the king of the Jews, and then ending thinking about Jesus's suffering and his death. It's a jarring contradiction. But that's what it was like for Jesus. It was a week of jarring contradictions. And so I want us to take today to sort of live into that, to think about what it means to say Hosanna and to praise God and to hail Jesus as king while also thinking about his suffering and his death. And so today, as we observe Palm Sunday, I also want us to remember that it is also Passion Sunday. Now, passion's a strange word. Uh, it has different meanings, different definitions, different contexts. If you were to look up the word passion in the dictionary, the very first definition it gives you is strong and barely controllable emotion. That's the first definition given, and it's certainly the most used definition. When it comes to the term passion is how we use the word most often in our contemporary language, a strong and barely controllable emotion. If we say I have a passion for whatever we are saying, we have a very strong emotion for that. I have a passion for this hobby or this sport or for this uh, whatever it may be, this place. We, we have a strong attachment, a strong emotion that can barely be contained. And that's how we use the word passion most often in our language. The second definition given in the dictionary for passion says the suffering of Jesus Christ. And this actually goes back to the root of what the word passion originally meant. The word passion comes from the Latin passionem which means suffering and enduring. And so the word passion actually originally meant a suffering, a long suffering, an endurance. And so when we talk about the passion of Christ, that's more in line with the original meaning of the word, the suffering. And some of you might know the term, the passion of Christ, and and it was popularized, especially in in Protestant uh, culture, by the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. Now, Catholics already know about the passion of the Christ. Protestants didn't know that that was a term, uh, most likely, until that movie came out. But the passion of the Christ means the suffering of Jesus. So when we say passion, we can mean the suffering or we can mean the uncontrollable love or emotion. 
Now, today I want to talk about the passion of the Christ, but I want to use the more modern term for it. I want to use that uncontrollable love, that emotion. And I want to talk about the passion of Christ as the way we would use the term today. The love, the strong desire, the strong emotion that can barely be contained. Because when we look at this prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father, we see that love coming through. We see passion. We see an uncontrollable desire. When people go up for job interviews, they are, they are trying to get something. They're trying to get paid to do something that they want to do. Or maybe they don't want to do it, but maybe they just want to get paid. Either way, they're interviewing for a job because they're trying to get this, this paycheck for a certain thing, right? One of the most common questions that is asked at job interviews is... What are you passionate about? And job interviewers ask this question because it gives them a glimpse into the psyche of the the interviewee. It gives them a glimpse into what what makes this person tick. Are they goal-oriented? Do they have interests or hobbies that might conflict with their job? What, what, What can I find out about this person? And so that is one of the most common questions. In fact, it's so common that you can go online and Google how to prepare for a job interview, and one of the things that you will find is how to best answer that question. What are you passionate about? Now, I've heard and read some very funny, interesting stories about job interviews. I heard about a guy who went into an interview once, and he was apparently a smart aleck, but he went in there and he set down a glass and he took a pitcher of water and he started filling it up in front of the person who was going to be interviewing him. And he was looking at the person, and he kept filling it all the way to full and then overflowing, and it started spilling out on the table. And the interviewer said, are you nervous? And the guy interviewing for the job was standing there holding the picture said, no, I just always give 110%. (laughs) We all have probably stories that we could share about job interviews that might have something funny that happened in them, maybe something uncomfortable that happened in them, maybe job interviews we excelled at, job interviews that we failed at. But the point is, when you go for a job, you're applying for something. You're stating your case. You're saying, I am worthy to do this job because, and then you give your credentials. And then they trip trip you up almost with that question, well, what are you passionate about? And if you're being completely honest... Your answer would probably say, I am passionate about the paycheck that I'm hoping you'll give me. (laughs) But nobody says that in a job interview because nobody is completely honest, I don't think, when they are trying to list their qualifications. They're trying to get a job. But this prayer that Jesus prayed, he is making a petition to the Father. And he is listing his qualifications. And in this prayer, Jesus is completely honest. He holds nothing back. This prayer is called the high priestly prayer because in this moment, Jesus is standing in the gap between his followers and God. And Jesus is interceding on their behalf. The high priestly prayer, we call that because that is what a good priest does. Intercedes for the congregation. In the Catholic Church, they they have this belief that, that when you sin, you go to the priest to confess your sins so that the priest can then turn around and, and talk to God on your behalf to intercede for you. 
In the Protestant church, uh, we, we don't do that. We believe we can go directly to Jesus as our high priest, that he stands in that gap for us. And, and we see demonstrated right here Jesus taking on that role, saying that I'm going to stand here and I'm going to appeal to my father on their behalf. And as he's doing this, he's also asking for something else. What does he ask for? Right there in the beginning of the passage, he asks for God to glorify him. Just as we would do in a job interview, we are saying, I want this job. Jesus is saying, Lord, I want to be glorified, and this is why. And then he goes on to talk about how he gave 110%. How he did everything in his power for the people That God entrusted to his care. Jesus is telling God, this is what I'm passionate about. Throughout the Gospel of John, we've been seeing that Jesus is constantly inviting us into new experiences. Into deeper relationship with him and with each other. But he's telling God here, he's saying, as I have done that, as I have invited people... And as I have cared for these people that you have given me, I have been sure to give you, the Father, all the glory. Now glorify me. And notice he says, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world existed. The Gospel of John starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word, of course, is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, I had this glory And I stepped down from heaven to be here on earth and to take care of these people and to love them and to have passion for them and to guard over them and to watch over them. And now return me to that glory that I had, that I stepped down from. There's this beautiful song that I learned at at church growing up. We would sing uh, for benediction sometimes. said... Uh, He laid aside his reputation when he came and stood by me, willing to take the lowest station when he came and stood by me. That's why I love him. That's why I love him. Jesus stepped down from glory to come to earth and stand by us. And that's what he's saying here in this prayer, in this beautiful prayer where he is interceding on our behalf. He is reminding God the Father, I stepped down from glory to come here and to care for these and to love them. And in doing so, I glorified you. Now return me to your glory. He says, I've kept them and I've guarded them. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. And here he's reminding God, I've been a good shepherd. I've watched over them. And then he's saying, not just that. But he's saying, God, as I return to you, continue to watch over them. Continue to guard them. He says, guard them, keep them from the evil ones, sanctify them, sanctify them by your word. For your word is truth. Whenever we know that we're leaving someone behind that we care about, we want to make sure that they are taken care of. Right? That's why people have wills. If we leave this earth, we want to make sure that our loved ones are taken care of. But this goes far beyond that. When, whenever a parent leaves their children at home, they want to make sure that they're going to be fed, that they're going to be taken care of. Last week, Claire went to the clergy spouse retreat. And uh, before she left that morning, she was going through the list of all the things that I needed to remember. And it was common sense stuff, like their clothes are over here. That wrinkled shirt will need to be ironed. 
And I'm thinking, I know all this. But that, that's what someone who cares does. They, when, they, when they are leaving behind the ones that they love, they want to make sure that everything is tended to. And we see Jesus doing the same thing here. And, and, and I'm not picking on Claire. My mom did it too. I remember when I was uh, growing up, when, when my mom would leave or when she would leave the house or leave the kids there at home when we got a little bit older, she would, ha- she would remind us what the number for 911 was. It's, it's just what people do when they leave behind the ones that they care about. And we see Jesus. He knows in this hour that, that he is about to go. He knows that his time has come. And so he's, he's asking the Father, these that I, I have watched over, I love them. I love them with the same love that you love me. And so, Lord, I'm asking that with the same love that you love me, love them with that same love. And we will all be united. We will all be bound by that same love. And so what happens is the same love for which the father, that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for us, the Father has for us as well. And this does include us. That's the most wonderful thing about this passage. If you're reading it, and if you're truly focusing, it can almost bring you to tears when you get to verse 20. You're mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? You're mentioned in there. I'm mentioned in there. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, not just my followers right now, but I'm asking all these things for the followers that come to believe in me a year from now, 10 years from now, 2,000 years from now. The ones who come to believe in your word, believe in me as the one you sent. The one who comes to believe in me, all of those, I pray these same things. And so we see in this moment Jesus praying for us. For all of those who come after him who will believe. And he's saying, Father, love them with the same love that you love me. And so we are unified. And, and it becomes almost a cliche. We say it so many times that we are bound by Christ's love. But we become unified with that same powerful love that the Father has for his Son, Jesus Christ. We all share in that same love as well. And then he says, I share with them my glory. So as Jesus is praying for glory... As he's praying to be glorified, he's also saying, I share this glory with them. Now, that sounds wonderful. We get the same glory that Jesus gets. And when we think about people waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna and hail to the king, and we think about us sharing in that glory, that that may get us excited. But remember this. The way Jesus was glorified was on a cross. That was his glory. He prayed, Father, glorify me. And then he obediently went to die. His love was so passionate. It was so real for us that he did that. And his love for the Father was so passionate and so real that in a radical act of obedience, he sacrificed himself. And so when we say Jesus was glorified, we mean that he went to the cross. When Jesus was lifted up, he was literally lifted up on a cross. Which means that if we share in his love, 
If we share in his glory, well, that means that we must also share in his suffering and in his death, in his radical passion, and in his radical obedience. If we share in the glory of Jesus Christ, we must also share in the cross. Jesus went to that cross because of the love that he had for us, because of that uncontrollable emotion. Jesus went to the cross because of that uncontrollable love he had for the Father. Jesus went to the cross because of his radical obedience. And that was glory. That's the paradox of Christianity. You've heard me say it before. Christianity is full of paradox. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. To gain your life, you must be willing to lose it. Jesus was glorified because he was obedient to the point of death. And for us to be glorified as well, we must share in that radical love and that radical obedience. For us to be one with him, for us to be one with the Father, we must share all of these things with him. We must share in that passion, that deep longing, that deep uncontrollable desire to completely turn our lives over for his sake and for each other, just as he turned his life over for us. Let us pray. Lord, we first want to thank you for being the high priest. We want to thank you for standing in that gap for us. For telling the Father of your deep, passionate love for us. And for surrendering us to the Father's care. Lord, we ask that you grow us in that love. That that same love which you have for the Son, that you have for us, but that we will also have for each other. And for you. And Lord, we do ask that you glorify us just as you glorify the Son. But Lord, we ask that knowing that the glory, your glory, also bears the cross. It brings passion. It brings suffering. It brings radical obedience. So, Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts for this and that you give us the grace to follow you all the way to the cross, that you give us the grace to obey your will above our own, that you give us the grace to love each other, to be unified in each other with that wonderful, powerful love that you love each and every one of us with. We pray all these things. In the name of your Son. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is from the United Methodist Hymnal, hymn number 298, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. If you've made a decision of any type this morning, I invite you and I encourage you to come forward and to share that with us. As a reminder, the altar is always open for anyone who wishes to come and spend a few moments in prayer here. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 298, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.